Thank you for stopping by the Inside Deschutes County podcast. Wherever you might be and however you might be listening, we appreciate you making us a small part of your day. Be sure to catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Deschutes.org slash podcast. Deschutes County is an amazing place to live. Work. work and pray. Great place to raise a family. I love the weather and the high desert. At Deschutes County, we provide excellent service. Beautiful. We're here to help you. Deschutes County is the heart of Oregon. Everyone wants to be here. This is episode 16 of the Inside Deschutes County podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Eric Brian. We really appreciate you listening to our program. Remember, if you've missed any episode, you can go back and download any of our previous conversations. Our last episode was with Christy Bollinger from Property Management. And you know what? You don't even have to download. You can just play them. You don't have to use the space on your phone. You can just play them from our website, from Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it. And might I even suggest holiday road trip material? I mean, who needs true crime? I think our county administrator has even listened to our podcast during his travels. So shout out to Nick Lelak, county administrator, for listening to the podcast. We got to get him on the show. He hasn't been on the show yet. Anyway, I'm really excited about this episode. I mean, I'm excited about all of them, but I think you're going to like our guest today. She's the director of community justice in Deschutes County. Big job. That includes adult parole and probation and juvenile community justice. Huge departments, lots of responsibilities, important work. Her time is super valuable, so I'm grateful that D.V. Holcomb is here. Hi, D.V. Hi, Eric. Welcome. And you brought a guest. I did. Who'd you bring? I brought our wonderful uh, juvenile detention manager, Robert Gilman. Rob. I'm here. Thanks for being here. Kicking and screaming? Kicking and screaming all the way. You were saying she just had to ask you. She did. She did. I'm up for anything. No bribes? Nope. Nothing? Nope. Wow, that's pretty easy. You guys have worked together a long time. We have. We've been with the department for quite a long time together. And again, your title, what do you do? I'm the juvenile detention manager, so I oversee the operations of our juvenile detention center. Okay. All right. And did I get, did I kind of nail your title? Yes. You've been doing this a long time. I have. I've been with the county for 23 years. Not always with the community justice department, but most of it. Well, I like to start off with some hard-hitting questions. It's, it's the holiday season, and you guys know each other pretty well. Uh, I mean, maybe you've given these gifts to each other. Worst gift, best gift that you've received, mm-hmm. and do you remember going back maybe, I don't know, work, elephant, white elephants? <laughs> you got any thoughts? You know, I don't, I'm off the top of my head, I can't think of work-related uh, white elephant gifts, although there have been some doozies. Usually those are, are pretty funny. Um, but I I do have a story that it kind of, okay. I think it illustrates me. Divi's always got a story. I'm, I'm, is that, that's <laughs> She's always got something. Yeah. So I grew up in Alaska, a small town in Alaska, like the kind of small town that you had to drive many, many hours to go to any kind of you know, mall worth its name. So this is the 80s, right? Mall, mall culture is big. They so still I'm, exist. They, yeah. Right, right, right. So Back in the 80s, I mean, not now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Totally different. Yeah. They were indoors. Right. And it's Alaska, so, you know, definitely indoors. And my, my parents took us up to do our sort of annual Christmas shopping. And my mother disappeared for a while. And when she came back, she had this beautiful silver box from Nordstrom's. 
right? Okay. I mean, and it was it was a present for me because I asked, "What is that?" This is your a Christmas present. <laughs> like sweet. And so every day between then and Christmas, I just came up with the most amazing, you know, things that a 13, 12, 13 year old girl in 1980 would want. Was it just the box? What was in the box? We, she didn't tell me. It was a surprise. Oh. Right. So I'm like guessing what it is. Okay. Oh, it's, you know, my, my favorite CDs. All right. Or, oh, it's this dress that I really wanted. Or, oh, hey, is it a you okay. know, fill in the blank with whatever it is. So Christmas comes and I'm like race to that box. I mean, this is Nordstrom, beautiful silver box. I, I open it. I'm convinced. I'm positive. I'm thinking positive about the world, right? Think good things are coming. I open it up and it's the ugliest blue, <laughs> puffy, down coat. It's like a winter coat. Well, Alaska. That was completely unfashionable. It Didn't was an like it. ugly color. I was embarrassed to wear it. And that taught me a couple things. Right, temper, temper my positivity a little bit. Maybe, maybe not all things okay. are going to be good, and you better be prepared. And to like, you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit because there you go. Uh, I was absolutely not allowed to say how much I hated that thing. Uh, so the blue puffy, the blue puffy, that was the worst. Never that you it. has come to you. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Yeah. So I think for. Um, the best, I'm just going to do with the token, anything for my kids. You know, they're grown up and adults now, but when they were in school and they do the little drawings and little homemade cards. And anything stuff, from was, your kids. From my kids, from yes. Your anything kids, my okay. kids would give me. Um, and the worst was, I, it's still in my memory today, We, I, I, my wife and I had been together a very short period of time, and my brother-in-law chose to give me, you know, like a singing fish to hang on the wall. Um, nice. <laughs> you know, it was just like nice. It's one of those ones that stick out. You like never forget bass. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty entertaining. Yeah. Is this because you were a great fisherman or really bad? No, I think. Good I really question, DV. I wasn't a good fisherman. Oh, um, mean! That's cruel. And you know, at the time they were like a big hit, but it's just like you know, it's just kind of pretty, one of those funny gifts you get, and you're like, hmm, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, my my worst gift it was in a white elephant situation. So, photography is kind of my side gig, not a gig, but it's something I like to do on the side. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to create a calendar, kind of fits in the price range. So I make a calendar with photos and no problem. It goes out, oh yeah, we like the calendar. Well, it turns out there's another white elephant that was given to somebody else. So that person had re-gifted it and then used it in the second white elephant. I got it back. <laughs> So I got the calendar, my own calendar, back in a second white elephant. So you could either call it the worst gift I ever got, or you might even call it, hey, it's the best gift I ever got because I, you know, it's my own stuff. So it came anyway. back to you. Yeah, exactly. No, it was it the what same goes around comes around. Same year, like this was the calendar still. It was valid? the same year. Did you actually used it. It was oh, the same excellent. year. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that would have been really bad. That would have been for a year yeah, off. Yeah. Come it, on, it would have been funny been, though. That could have been bad. Yeah, you get some pretty, you know, bad white elephant. Yeah, the re regifting thing. Our, our our white elephants that we usually get involved in, we usually just put them in a corner and wait to give them back, you know, later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let's jump into the work you do because it's difficult work. I want to give some time to it. I, I know there's probably no short answer to this question. DV, I'll just start off with you. What do you do? Because I'm sure I, it's a lot. I know that. I mean. This is parole and probation. It's juvenile community justice. I know there's probably some reasons behind why you call them those things. Can you explain in a nutshell, you know, kind of keeping with the holiday theme, nutcracker, nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of what you do. Yeah. 
a lot of people, a lot of things. Yeah, thanks. Great. Good question. Good test, right? You should be able to sum everything up in a nutshell, I suppose. So in a nutshell, a Christmas nutshell, uh, community justice, both adult and juvenile, probably um, help people who have made mistakes get back on the right track without forgetting the impact of those mistakes and what those have that what those have been for the community, for individual victims, family members, or even themselves. Well, that's important. That's a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's so big, right? Because it's you know, I mean, a lot of people going through mm-hmm. with a lot of different issues. Yeah. They've either been they've all been probably convicted of a crime or or their sentence has been stayed or whatever right that that's the probation part of it yeah. what what is the well first of all how many offenders do you supervise sure. i mean it's got to be a lot yeah well the it's interesting to have one department that is community justice cuz mine lens does kind of go from you know 12 to 100 let's say um, but legally speaking, the world of juvenile and the world of adult uh, community supervision are very, very different. I mean, there are different parts of the Oregon law book, um, very different things that you get to or have to do with individuals depending on their age. So on the adult side, we'll start there, which is kind of backwards, but we'll start on the adult side. So anybody over the age of 18 who is convicted of a crime um, and is sentenced to probation, like you said, or maybe even sentenced to prison, but are now returning home from prison, which about 98, 99% of people do eventually come back from prison. Once they're convicted, then the adult uh, division provides what's called community supervision. And we have about 1,000 people uh, on community supervision in Deschutes County um, for various things, most of them pretty serious crimes, honestly. Um, most of them have felony levels, which are more serious than, for example, misdemeanors. And they range from property offenses all the way up to really serious person offenses. So that's kind of what we do on the adult side. Um, on the juvenile side, it's a little bit different. Uh, the juvenile department has a lot of uh, interaction with people. The moment that a young person has contact with law enforcement, they are uh, that citation or that ticket or that arrest you know, document is sent on to the juvenile department. And from there, we kind of do an, a very comprehensive assessment process where we kind of figure out what's the best thing to do with this young person and often their families, right, because of their, their age. Um, and that can result in community supervision, maybe probation, maybe a, something, a diversion opportunity. Um, and we work with them in the community. Every once in a while, we have youth that, you know, return from a higher level of supervision back into the community. We might also help them. But primarily, we're working with youth before they move on to some pretty serious, um, like, state incarceration kinds of situations. Now, Rob, and he can kind of talk about this a little bit, um, a lot of people think that most kids go to detention, right, when when they're in trouble. And an interesting thing about that side of our business is very few youth actually end up in detention. Um, Lots of times, law enforcement handles a situation in the community or with the school, releases the youth to their parent or, you know, a guardian who's over the age of 18 and sends us the report and we contact them a week, 10 days later or something like that. But youth who have pretty serious crimes in the community are going to be brought right to detention by law enforcement, at which time Rob and his folks do another pretty comprehensive assessment to see if detention, which is actually a very serious thing to do to a young developing mind, uh, regardless of how serious event the youth has caused, to put someone in detention, you know, to deprive of liberty, again, at that age, is a really big deal. So we do a pretty good assessment, uh, make sure that detention is a spot that's good for that youth and or the state, the, the community is just not safe, right, if that youth is out there immediately. And then Rob's folks kind of 
kind of take and work with them in a really intensive way. So yeah, I've got a lot of questions because yeah. uh, so I, I was at your facility fairly recently and was at the juvenile, I guess, detention is what you would call that. There was only two people there, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised by that. And so you, you walk in and, you know, you see all these different rooms that you think, you know, everybody's going to be locked up and everybody's going to, you know, be ushered to, you know, physical activities or school or things like that. And it wasn't like that. So maybe, Rob, you can talk about a little bit about maybe how many people you have, how many youth you have at one time or, or what kind of services are there and how you and your team works through that. Yeah, sure. So we, um, you know, we staff for 16 kids. Um, but I think it's important to know that, you know, that facility was built back, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 90s when they're all, we were responding a lot to, the, to a lot of the tough on crime initiatives that were out there. Um, you know, so it's a lot bigger than what we actually use it for um, at, the, at the time. And, and we've made some use of, of other areas of the building. But uh, that being said, you know, we staff for 16. Our average daily population pre-pandemic was like eight or nine. Um, but that means that, that, you know, those are just numbers on an average, right? So we also know that our peaks and valleys are over and above the national average. So that means we can have, you can be in there and you can have 16 kids one day and then three days later you're down to three or four kids um, because of just the way the system is. You know, the system's completely different for juveniles. When it, Once a juvenile comes into custody in my facility, they have to go back in front of the juvenile referee or the juvenile judge every 10 days and be re- reassessed for possible release. Right. So um, it's a pretty quick turnover, pretty short stay, unlike the adult system where they could be sitting there for six months or however many months waiting for a trial or whatever the process is that they're going through. Um, So we have a pretty big turnover with our kids. And like Dee was saying, probably only about 15 percent of the kids that come in contact with our juvenile department really actually ever go into detention. Um, And then it's a pretty short stay. Where can we get this kid back out where services can be had? Um, You know, that's probably been the biggest changes. the the best opportunity for these kids is back home or in the community or someplace where they can keep in touch with their drug and alcohol services or their mental health services or whatever they're requiring because uh, a lot of that doesn't happen when you're locked up. Um, so, you know, our, our average population does fluctuate a lot. And, yeah, when you were there, it was probably only two kids. I think we were five this morning um, and we could be who knows what by Friday. Um, so while they're in our custody, though, I mean, they're, they're out of their rooms most of the day. I mean, we have school. Uh, we contract with the local uh, – school school organizations to provide by law five and a half hours of school a day. So by state law, we have to provide school for that amount of time. Um, and then the kids are out, you know, for meal time and we do group therapy with them um, and really just give them opportunities to practice um, positive skills and do some stabilization because oftentimes the kids that we get are pretty raw right off the streets. They've been out doing who knows what. Um, and so by the time we get them, even just a, a day or so, just to kind of get them to stabilize a little bit as a benefit. Um, and then we get them out moving with a, throughout our, our, our daily routine. Um, benefit we have is we have mental health uh, accessibility within our facility. We're one of the few facilities with the mental health staff on the floor 40 hours a week. Um, so that helps us provide a really um, holistic approach with how we manage these kids in custody. Yeah, big disparity between handling juveniles versus kind of the seriousness of, a, I mean, they're both serious, but kind of the adult side of things where these juveniles are coming in, I'm guessing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing a lot of these problems are coming from their issues at school or issues at home, or you talked about substance abuse, maybe even more serious thoughts of uh, suicidal crisis or anything like that. So y- you and your team have to deal with that and might be 
hands-on in that approach, right? Yeah, there are times. I mean, it, it is an environment where, um, you know, we take these kids right off the street and we deal with, sometimes we are defaulted for mental health kids. That probably isn't the best setting to be in our facility, but that's how it would be for the meantime until we can find other resources for them in the community. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where we do everything we can to avoid having to, you know, um, be in a crisis with a kid in, in custody. Um, but that's just kind of the nature of the job. They're there. They're in crisis all the time, um, in and out um, throughout their stay. And that's why we, we hope for the short stay to get them out there where they can get services that they really can provide in a better environment. And DV, that's different than what you're dealing with with adults, right? Because can you kind of walk us through that difference? Because you're probably providing, obviously, you know, live up to the arrangements that are set forth, you know, by whomever. But I'm guessing it's some counseling, getting them on their feet, maybe some living arrangements. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, on the community supervision side, there's actually quite a lot of similarities. The social science about what works when someone is on community supervision to help motivate them, engage them to make the changes that they need to make, um, as well as to hold accountable and make sure that you're teaching accountability as well as holding accountability are very similar for adults and juveniles. May I just, before I answer that, though, I, I, I can't let what Rob just said go without um, some major kudos. So Rob's team through the pandemic and since has been under extreme pressure with staff retention and recruitment. It's a really, really tough job. Remote work is not an option for detention. It's shift work. Uh, it includes graveyard shifts, swing shifts, or early in the morning shifts. Um, people that have been stepping up and working uh, at, from the, the community supervision side has come down and helped supervisors. We've switched around. It's a constant jigsaw puzzle, if I may. Is that right, Rob? That's probably a good reference, yeah. <laughs> it's a, every day a jigsaw puzzle, and it all depends on who are the youth in custody, how are they feeling that day, how many staff do we have? Oh, someone got sick because that's human, right? They, they couldn't come in. How do we now reshuffle that? It's been a beautiful, beautiful thing to see, and also so tough for me as a leader, and uh, it's been something we just have been really working hard to get our hands on. Despite all of that, uh, his team is professional, uh, they still continue to care. I was just this uh, afternoon in a, a, a shift brief. So right before one shift leaves and one, another one comes on, they meet for about 10 minutes just to do a very quick rundown. How are, how are the youth doing today? What they were dealing with today is really, really difficult stuff. Um, and they're professional. They're calm. They keep their head on. We have our behavioral health person who helps them, who helps the staff kind of manage things uh, appropriately as well as help the youth themselves. So I'm just honored and privileged that I work with this fine group of people uh, the work is unbelievably difficult. It's really for the the very few special people in this world who can handle that uh, with the grace and and professionalism that they do. So I just had to say that. No, that well, <laughs> that's great. Thank you. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that really is pretty cool to hear because we don't often see or hear about the stories behind the scenes, right. and you know. Kudos to my boss for letting us do this podcast and talk about these yeah. things because sometimes we just don't. We do the work and we go home yeah. and we don't take the time to, you know, kudos and a round of applause to the people who do this hard work in the community and we get to talk about it. So, um, yeah, 
congrats to you and your team for that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it is. And I, I just, I, I don't know, there's just something about it uh, over the last six to 12 months that I've just, it's been a huge priority for us. And I, I just wanted to give that shout out. Now that said, on our community supervision side, we have a lot of similar work going on. Um, and, and I have such uh, humility and honor to work with our community, our folks who do community supervision. On the juvenile side, those are called community justice officers. And on the adult side, they're what you more often hear, the PO, a, a parole and probation officer. So these folks, much like the workers in detention, have this relentless energy, this relentless ability to work and walk with people in their worst moments when they are not being that great, uh, when other people run away from them and are afraid of them. Our people run to and with and walk and try to help people uh, in a safe way turn things around. Um, that can look like uh, individual sessions. That's something that's kind of new um, or people don't really know about what a PO might do. The idea is sort of that you sit and, and maybe wait for the person to come in and check off, hey, are you doing this? Did you go to your treatment? Did you do your community service? Hey, you need to do that. That's not at all what we do anymore um, on the juvenile or the adult side. We do that work first and foremost because that's an imp important piece of public safety and for that person to kind of pay back and do what they need to do to regain the trust of those of us around them. But we also help engage motivate with uh, different kinds of social science-based techniques that are all aimed at behavior change. Because it isn't actually as easy. I don't know if you've ever been on a diet, Eric, or tried to stop doing something or tried, tried to start doing something, right? <laughs> I've tried. Yeah, how, how's, it's hard, right? Well, you see me, so no. <laughs> not working. <laughs> it, it is tough to make any it's kind hard. of change. It's hard. Any yeah. kind of change. And now imagine making a change where everybody else around you is doing the same thing. Yeah. Where that thing that you're doing is like the one thing that's made you feel good temporarily than anything else around you. Um, so we, it takes a lot. I mean, ultimately, each person is responsible for the choices that they make, and we help them try to get to a spot where they make the good choices. Now, that is true. And what we also have, and this probably makes sense to you too, you know, uh, people make choices to commit crimes, and sometimes there are things that they have had to go through that are harder than what other people have had to go through. A lot of our folks uh, in both systems are, are lower socioeconomic um, wage-earning uh, households. A lot of uh, girls and women especially have had sexual abuse or physical abuse trauma in their past, and this is somehow related to what they're doing now, right? And so we really do a lot of referring out and trying to help uh, folks get the support they need in the community that's beyond you know, their own specific uh, thing that they did, right? We kind of try to look at some of those indicators or those things that are determining some of their behaviors. A uh, big one is is housing uh, for uh, on the adult side. On the juvenile side, we would work with the family if there's a housing issue. On the adult side, we would obviously work with the individual themselves because primarily we're talking about people who have, you know, their own uh, responsibility for rent and that kind of thing. Um, that's a real big a real big barrier for folks, uh, for sure. Substance use treatment, we do have a lot of people, and this is also sometimes surprising. I think people often think that on the juvenile and the adult side that substance abuse must be like the number one common factor of people on supervision, and actually it isn't. It's 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 uh, something that's maybe about 30 40% of our population has a real substance use dependency. Um, other people might have some use, maybe they're not making great decisions when they are inebriated or intoxicated or under the influence, but that's not really what's driving their criminal behavior. Um, but when it is, you know, we've seen a lot of growth over the last five, 10 years with access to um, service providers that can help people with that. So we don't do that in-house. That's something we might refer out to. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it's, it's really interesting to me because 
I mean, the 30 to 40% number seems lower to me than what I would have guessed as just a, you know, a community member. What other, what other trends are you seeing? Is there like something that's, you know, just a common thread that's leading people to come back? Uh, you know, is it, is it reoccurring offenders? Is there, is there a problem with, um, you know, people coming, you said a thousand people, mm-hmm. how many of those are, are repeat offenders yeah. or is it a problem with, you know, you talked about the 30 to 40% being, you know, substance. What other trends do you see? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways that we kind of see that and not to get too wonky in social science Maybe I'll stick with, um, the, there are some pretty similar crime driving factors that both young people and adults have that tend to be the things that separate somebody who might have the same life experiences, there may be the same trauma, maybe even the same opportunity, the same set of risky peers, potentially, and who choose to do different things, right? Same situation, two different behaviors and actions. We see that in families, for example, right? Same family, totally different uh, personalities and choices in the, in the face of the same circumstances. So those things tend to be um, really the way you think, the way you justify what's in the world, uh, the way you can rationalize what's happening to you, what the cause of things are, actually who your peers are, who you hang out with, and what they think is normal and good, that's a huge factor. Uh, for young people, it's family. Um, and then another thing is just the use of leisure time. What do you have to do in your time, especially with adolescents? <laughs> Talk about Rob. I mean, you, our time in detention is extremely structured for this reason. An adolescent with a lot of time on their hands can get up to a lot real quick. <laughs> Sometimes want to channel that energy and that intelligence into like pro-social positive things. Right. We would be on fire. It would be great. Uh, but those are the things that 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 can be the the primary factors. And aside from that, and I'll maybe let Rob answer this too on, on the what what he's seeing in detention because I think that did change over the pandemic. Um, something that changed on the adult side over the pandemic was a huge drop in the number of people who had substance use dependency disorders, and that was partially. Um, up to some legislation that changed in the state that made possession of of lots of scheduled substances to be uh, non-criminal, right? So we just weren't seeing that kind of uh, behavior as much. But what we also saw uh, was a huge increase in domestic violence cases on the adult side through the pandemic, which also makes a lot of sad sense. People in homes, not as many things open, that kind of everybody stuck together and things just can explode. So we saw that on the um, adult side. And on the juvenile side, I would say it's fair, and I'll pass to Rob. I mean, I think we saw just a real increase in the acuity, the seriousness, the crisis level, uh, behavioral health and mental health needs of some of our young people, both what they're facing in the world and then kind of what they're offering the world. So maybe. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it reflects as far as the drug and alcohol issues. I mean, we don't see a huge uh, number of that come through. Um, but I, th- I think there's been a lot of an increase in the mental health um, issues, I think, probably based on, you know, the pandemic and, and what happened during that period of time. Um, you know, the biggest change we've seen over the years with with juveniles is just um, how we manage caseloads and how we work with these kids in the community um, and being able to, you know, kind of add on what Dee was talking about earlier. You know, when you put a, a juvenile on probation um, and have this whole laundry list of things they have to follow, that's hard for them to follow normally. Um, and now if there's a, you know, the, uh, a consequence that comes with if you follow it, it makes it more difficult for these kids. Um, so a lot of the kids that we deal with are, you know, pretty new. We get lots of kids in that are new to the system. Um, and typically what we're seeing are just kids that have like mental health issues going on, really struggles with um, managing through normal everyday teenage life. And, 
you know, they kind of latch on to um, contact contacts in the community that they see as being a resource. This may not be a resource for them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's important to remember that they're just, they're just adolescents. They're just juveniles and they're still developing. They don't, you know, trying to figure things out. Yeah. And yeah. They, and, and a lot of that's being driven through media, um, and what the household is like. And, you know, now we're coming out of the pandemic a little bit and, you know, there's just some, I think just some, there's, they're still trying to figure out how to navigate through school. Um, you know, having a, having a, a, a child of my own who spent most of the pandemic trying to make it through high school. I can't imagine there's still some residuals of that, of, of not going to school and not going to school. And now all of a sudden you're dropped in there as a junior, senior, whatever. And you have to now neg- navigate what it's like to walk through a classroom. Um, and there's there's a lot of, you know, the, uh, a lot of learning how to manage through that, I think. Do you think people have forgotten about that, the pandemic and the impacts, the subsequent impacts on youth and our community in general? You know, I don't think has forgotten about it is any school teacher. Um, the only thing that we seem to hear, and, and with so much empathy, is the kind of developmental freeze that happened over those two years when, when young people were at home on a screen. And it's, I actually was in a, a meeting, and I was able to recently heard a, a young woman who's 21, actually. She was 21, excuse me, she's 24, I think now. She was 21 mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit. And she said um, to the group that we were with, that for her, it felt like time froze. Something, like it all just froze. And now even though she's 24, she still feels like she's 21. 21. It's like, because there wasn't that interaction with people, especially at that age, you think about a brain development, which you know, I, I believe it's like at 26 now. I mean, that the, the brain really kind of stop, stops doing its primary development. So if you're 21, you still got a lot of growth to do. And as humans, we're hardwired to do that in connection with others and with that, kind of break there, what that has uh, resulted in, I think, is immense. We see it, and schools see it. I'd, I'd bet that parents of uh, younger folks see it. And my daughter was also uh, out of the home, um, almost graduated from college, and was able to maintain kind of a lot of social connections in that you know, that pod aspect that they would do. So I didn't see that personally, but that's all I really heard about, and I think it's still going on today. Yeah, I just think there's a lack of connection. I mean, you think about you know, the next level of brain development as, as a pattern is age 12, 13. Well, that's middle school, you know, that, and that's where these kids are trying to learn how to develop relationships appropriately. Um, and some of that gets lost. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was that probably even before the pandemic where kids were through their socialization, through their interactions, through their lives, um, didn't necessarily develop, you know, relationships positively. And then just the additional impact of then not having access to do that for the general public. Um, so, you know, we see, we see a lot of that coming through. It's just, um, you know, a lot of the work we do is around that accountability piece. And when we talk about accountability, we talk about how do you help this young individual understand that what they do is wrong. You know, it isn't necessarily about, you know, what's the consequence going to be or how much time they're going to do in jail or detention or whatever. But how do you help them understand and break down that dynamic that the actions they took, you know, harmed somebody else? Because there's, there's sometimes it's just that lack of connection between those two points. You mentioned housing. Do you help with that? We do. Um, not so much on the juvenile side, although from time to time we do. And I think that's because there's actually a lot more resources for, um, and I'm not saying there's sufficient resources, but there are more resources for young people 
uh, with their families or families with younger children, I think, because we just don't see that need being put forth from youth and families as much as we see on the adult side. On the adult side, we put a tremendous amount of uh, resources toward housing, and that ranges from uh, very emergency housing. Let's say somebody is releasing from prison um, and they haven't had a stabilized plan yet, but they're being released, and we just haven't been able to put it together, we might need a hotel room for a couple of nights until we figure out that person's plan. It can also mean a, a referral to the Bethlehem Inn, which is a you know high barrier shelter in, in Bend. Um, we also have access to a network of transitional houses that are spread all throughout Central Oregon called transitional houses or sober living environments where either treatment providers or just independent groups of people put together a house that has you know five, six, seven people living in it, um, all who are on a treatment path, a recovery path, uh, specifically for maybe a short period of time while they transition. And some of those even actually go towards um, uh, longer term stays as well. And then we also can try to, and we often need to work with maybe their behavioral health person or maybe uh, someone else that they're working with to provide them with rental subsidies that are available for people who are um, doing rent on their own. So right, not a youth is not obviously responsible for the rent of their apartment or their mortgage or that sort of thing. Adults tend to be responsible for the rent. So we can pass people off uh, to that as well. And there's a project in the works right now, right, that I think I've yeah. heard about on, on Wilson. Yes, there is. Yeah, we, uh, through the governor's um, emergency order back in, I believe, February of, well, this year, it's actually was still in 2023, early this year, um, we applied for a grant through them and were awarded a grant to uh, try to create a transitional house for justice-involved men. Um, we're not going to have men and women in that same house. And folks don't have to have a substance use disorder. And we're going to be working with people from all kinds of crime types. Um, we just recently received approval from the board on that um, and are working towards creating a program that keeps the safety and the livability of that community and that neighborhood at the forefront. Definitely when a new place goes in, um, that can be of a concern to some people, and we've heard from some of our community uh, neighbors and constituents. So we're working with them on that, but we're pretty excited about it uh, because in addition to being something that is helpful for people to just rehabilitate and get on a better path, there's a real public safety element. When we have folks who are on a community supervision who are chronically homeless, we can't find them, we don't know where they are, they are unstable because they're just sort of living day to day. This will provide an opportunity for people to get that stability under um, support and accountability from a house manager who will be there, from a PO who will be there to help them uh, stay on track. And like I said, kind of help help the neighborhood preserve and feel like a neighborhood because that's, that's who it's going to be for folks who are ready to be good neighbors. Well, that's an exciting project. So I, I imagine that there are a lot of rewarding things about this job. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because I... I you know, on the surface, you might think, okay, you're just dealing with people who've committed crimes or, or been in trouble. I imagine seeing people maybe perhaps get on their feet after they've gone through your, your program or being on parole, probation, going through detention, that's got to just tug at the heartstrings. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think everybody who works in this profession just about is kind of in that helper category of personality. They are people who do run to quote unquote problems. They do run to the hard places and try to help people out of them into something better. So it's kind of, I mean, the, the, the thick skin that our staff have, I do think is unusual uh, compared to maybe other 
places of employment. That said, the thing that keeps those folks motivated time and time again, uh, myself included, is to see that behavior change process. I mean, um, like the youth, a youth that was being discussed today in detention, they were really, the staff were super excited. I mean, genuinely so excited and proud that a, a young person had been able to do what they needed to do for three days straight. That was the goal. That was the excitement, and they found that. And just that is enough for them to keep going with that young person, even though today may be totally different, and it's kind of a minute-by-minute minute situation. But we have tons and tons of, uh, of people formerly on supervision who might see their PO in the community, come up to them, just say thank you. Like, actually, you were the only person in my life who told me the way what I needed to hear, and you gave me that, that compassion, and I knew you cared about me, but you didn't let me get away with anything either. And I really, really needed that. And I think it's completely driven by seeing that behavior change um, that happens with, with our clients. And also on the other side, in addition to being helpers again to that person who committed a crime, um, we see ourselves as helpers to people who were victimized by crime. And when we can see a victim get a good outcome, um, manage to actually work through the process of the impact of that crime on them, uh, and, and come to a different place and feel safe again, that is a huge, huge benefit. And when we can stop something from happening, you know, when we see a person going in a cycle and we're the only person who's really paying attention to what's going on with that person because they've been disconnected or they've disconnected themselves from everything else in their life and we're that one connection that they have to the world and we see what's going on and we can prevent something bad from happening, I think that's also um, the change of course or the yeah. light bulb coming on, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, I imagine that's just what keeps you guys going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, everything that we do that from from detention to um, the juvenile adult probation side has changed so much anymore. Down now to just we're really developing relationships with these individuals, um, especially like in detention. I mean, I tell staff when I bring on new staff, I said building good rapport with the kid does ninety percent of your behavior management. Um, and with that, you know, we also, we oftentimes get kids in that come in, they're coming in for court and they stop by and say hi to staff. Um, we're learning to them in the community and they'll just stop by and they'll say, Hey, I just got a job here. And they want to check in and really show some level of excitement. Um, and then we get kids in that are, you know, that we, we, we've had kids in detention, get their GED or while they're in detention, graduate high school. Um, and we really, you know, celebrate those achievements because these are things that kids may not have been able to do while they're out in the community. Um, and we found found a way to really kind of get them motivated and, come and, hit, and hit some milestones. Um, so, yeah, it's just all about developing relationships with these kids. And, and it does it, – it really um, – and I'm, I by no means say there's, you know, crossing boundaries or being their parent or anything like that. But I think develop, you know, really some really good um, professional relationships where they feel like somebody outside of their their original group is is really helpful and supportive and they can feel that. Yeah, it's actually a, a question on one of the juvenile uh, crime prevention uh, risk assessments that we do, the primary one we do. There's actually a question that's either a risk factor or a protective factor, and it's having an adult who's not your parent that you have a trusting relationship with. Is that amazing? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And, and the CJO can absolutely become that person for that time. And, yeah, I, I'd love, the, Rob, that you mentioned relationship because I think – we have these two poles of relationship and um, accountability, and that's what our system does. And relationship doesn't mean that's the warm, supportive side, and the accountability side is the, the you know the punitive side. A healthy relationship in our field is one that is both supportive and compassionate, and authoritative. Somebody who says, "Here's the boundary. This is it. It's not going to change. 
I support you. I know you can do it. You didn't do it this time. Let's try again. In the meanwhile, here's something I need to do to help others stay safe around you. You may not like it right now, but this is why we're doing it. So that's the relationship. Uh, and that's, that's I, I love that. It's, I think it's intuitive, but, you know, sometimes it isn't. People that are acting the worst, the, you know, the biggest knuckleheads, um, that's, that's the time when you got to come in and say, you know what? I see you. I see what you can do. I see the good in you. And I'm going to help you get there. It may not feel good right this second, but I'm going to help you get there. Yeah, and I think it's important that it's it's that kind of with attitude, right? So we're not we're not going to do it for them, or or do too much nurturing along the way. It's just going to be like we're here with their with we're here side by side to get through this. And every time a kid comes into my facility, um, you know, staff are talking to them about, you know, we have a mutual goal. You don't want to be here, and I'd like to see you get out of here. So how do we work together to achieve that goal? Um, and the same thing when these kids are placed on probation, you know, their their community justice officer or their or, or their adult yeah, parole, parole, parole officer, um, kind of have that same mentality of, you know, you want to get off probation. How do we do this together? Because you need to meet some some requirements, and I'll be here to make sure that you know we're staying on track. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, a lot of responsibilities, big, challenging, hard work. But I can, I can hear the passion um, in both of your voices. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for sharing about your teams and the work that they do and kind of opening the curtain a little bit as to what they do behind the scenes. And uh, I just really appreciate the both of you for being here. Thank you, Eric. It was lovely to talk with you. Thank you. D.V. Holcomb and Rob Gilman, thank you again so much for being here. A lot to digest in this conversation. If you have questions about Deschutes County Community Justice or if you need any resources about how to handle any particular situation, you can go to Deschutes.org slash justice. Lots of good information on both the juvenile and adult sides of things at that website. If you have a question about this podcast or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at info at And remember, we tell you all the time, but remember to subscribe to the Inside Deschutes County podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Drop us a review, drop us a rating. We would really appreciate it. But until next time, be safe out there and happy holidays.